Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Let's see, last Sunday we packed 190 people plus in here, they say. And, uh, and then since it was Pentecost, uh, they were sent forth uh, into all the universe. <laughs> I noticed we blessed a lot of people to uh, uh, go uh, on vacations or go traveling last week, and they obviously were as good as their word. Uh, Father Daniel, uh, as well, has uh, gone forth to uh, the Gulf Coast to proclaim the gospel uh, to the regions that sat in darkness. <laughs> that is Alabama, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so you're left with me. Glory to God. It's good to be. We were in Memphis, uh, Mother Beth and I, earlier this week with the Antiochians. I had a very nice time with them. Several years ago, maybe two, three, if you lose count these days, several years ago there was a big thing that sort of scandalized the the Orthodox world uh, when the nation of Turkey uh, decided that uh, the Church of Hagia Sophia, which in Orthodoxy is known as the Great Church, formerly the cathedral and sort of capital church of the Byzantine Empire, uh, that uh, it would no longer be a museum uh, but now it would become a mosque, uh, which it had been for ever since Turkey conquered uh, the Byzantine Empire, and then back in the 1920s decided to make themselves so-called secular and just turn it into a museum. Uh, it was a wonderful church, sort of a, a model for many other things that had been built for many centuries uh, in Orthodoxy, but they turned it in, back into use as a mosque, and uh, the uh, one of the things that was heartbreaking as they did that was they did, uh, in the pictures were shown out on the internet, they created curtains, these huge curtains, to kind of be erected and cover uh, all the, the wonderful icon- iconography, the mosaics and stuff, the mother of God and Christ and the saints, and cover all that up, at least when it produces a mosque. I think they take them down during the week so you can come in as a museum and actually see uh, what's so wonderful about this church, but then they put it uh, back up. And, you know, uh, essentially what all of that is about is sort of just the, uh, the politics of, of that land in a way of saying, we didn't want you to forget 1453, if possible, uh, and that we conquered this and we can do anything with it, we jolly well want to. Uh, and uh, just something to make the Greeks happy. Uh, at any rate, and all of us sort of saddened to see it. Uh, but it was interesting just as an illustration, not just of iconoclasm, the cover of the icons, but of a very different conception of God. Because the truth is, there's many Christians. There's many Christians in our modern world who would be just as bothered by, those, by the iconography there uh, as... Uh, the Muslims are, and for pretty much the same reasons. They would cite the same scriptures, and all you come into, I, mean, I was thinking about this uh, some time back. The question came on my mind, could you have an Orthodox service without icons? My first thought, uh, answer to that is, why would you want to? Uh, and uh, I mean, it's maybe sort of possible, but it's just kind of unthinkable, and why that's so is something that I want to dwell on with us today on this 
a Sunday after Pentecost that is set aside as the Sunday of All Saints. This is the Orthodox All Saints Day, which meant yesterday was Halloween. <laughs> and you didn't even know it uh, or go trick-or-treating uh, just to kind of really upset your neighbors. But the uh, All Saints Day, in Orthodoxy, the truth is, is the saints are not optional. They're not optional. I mean, sometimes you sort of get an idea from others that, you know, that kind of a stripped down uh, Protestantism is basic mere Christianity, and the rest is just frills uh, that we've added on. And there are no frills in Orthodoxy. Um, you know, it's, it's all there. It's all in the councils. It's all essential, not frivolous, uh, not, well, maybe, maybe the length of a beard. Is, uh, is a frivolous matter. Um, but um, the saints are not optional. And this, is, this goes to the very heart of who we proclaim when we proclaim God as he has been made known to us. Um, there's, I mean, there's a tendency, and I run across this in the conversation out there where people want to kind of start with God. You know, we've got to get God. And then try to figure out what do I think of Jesus and kind of go that way. I, I always want to back people up and think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did you get that God? And what do you mean and what do you think you mean when you say that word? I mean, that word, I mean, you use the word God when you talk about Zeus. And that's not our God. And this is not that. There's not, Christians do not believe in a generic God, kind of, you know, blank God, and then, you know, with frills. You know, we stick on the Jesus and Holy Spirit as extra frills, and God's the base. We don't believe that, no. We, as Christians, in fact, begin really with Jesus. And God made himself known. I was reading just yesterday in the writings of St. Sophroni, and he said that God became flesh. And one of the things in doing that is so that uh, to clear up the fact that God is not a product of our imagination. And the central question isn't what do you think of God, but what do you think of Christ? All that we know of God is made known to us in and through Jesus Christ. You can't get behind Jesus to talk about God behind his back. As if you do anything of God apart from him. The scripture tells us no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son reveals it. No one. And no one comes to the Father except through the Son. It's, it, this is a Jesus path and a Jesus only path uh, to God. That's where we rest as a church. And all that we know of God, Christ has made done to us. So I always tell people, look, we don't start at Genesis and then try to read forward. We start with Christ. And what's anchored in Christ, then we can go back and we read even the Old Testament through Him. Scripture says He is the beginning and the end. So we start with Christ, we finish with Christ. But, but, in addition to that, and we see this, Christ does not come to us just sort of appearing by Himself. The Christ, who is the true Christ, is He who was born of the Virgin. And so, as Orthodox Christians, first among all the saints, we talk about the Mother of God, Mary, the Theotokos. Why? Because 
She is necessary. She is necessary. There is no Jesus, God become man, without Mary. And the Orthodox are careful to be sure we always talk about her so that you understand this. Some of the early heresies that we had to deal with in the church would have made of Jesus sort of a, you know, an apparition or just something from heaven and, and sort of forgot Mary altogether. And we anchor the humanity of Christ. The God made man. We anchor his humanity in the reality of his mother. So that one of the heresies of Nestorianism wanted to say of Mary, she was Christotokos, she gave birth to the man. But we say, no, no, she's Theotokos, she gave birth to God. He was the God-man. So we begin, when we talk about Christ, we have to, we must talk about Mary. When you don't talk about her, you start getting a different Jesus. And frankly, there's oftentimes a different Jesus out there. Who do I know? I know Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Mary. That's who I know. Also, Christ calls to himself his disciples. And the, the, you get a thing, there's sort of a, a, an anti-church kind of Christianity. People say, I don't believe, you know, I don't like institutional church. And I'm thinking, well, orthodoxy is not exactly institutional. It's certainly not organized. Um, you know, people say, I, I don't like organized religion. I'm thinking, well, you've come to the right place. So, uh, we, we can't organize ourselves. It's against the canons. Uh, actually, we can't even get organized enough to agree about what the canons mean. That's the sort of how it is. Uh, this is orthodoxy. Uh, but the Christ is, Jesus can't be had apart from the church. Church was not a, and I hear this from people too, they'll say, church is, is man's invention. No, it's not. Church is God's invention. And sometimes I think it's God's great joke. I mean, he gave us a church. First off, he gave us a church, then said love one another, and, you know, that keeps us honest and has kept us honest for 2,000 years. He, God gives us church and says love one another. We don't know God apart from the church. Some people say, well, I just want the Bible. I think, who do you think wrote the Bible? And the New Testament is written to the church. This is the church's book. No church, no Bible. It just, this, is, this is how this is. It's very uncomfortable that we have church. You know, it's, this is where in your spiritual life, uh, you run into things you don't like. You know, you, you don't like a particular priest, you don't like a particular blogger, you know, bishops, whatever out there, that these things that can, can upset you. Nothing upsets me as much as uh, an Orthodox Christian with a wrong opinion. Uh, that is, those who disagree with me. And, uh, and I'm sure, you know, we can make a list and there might be some in common, but you have yours and I have mine. And, and, and that's how we are. But the truth is, is, and this is, it reveals God. When you read the scriptures, Old and New Testament, the one thing you don't get is a lonely God. You just don't get a picture of God by himself. Every time it mentions, you think, the sixth chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah's wonderful vision. He saw God, he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he's surrounded by angels singing, 
holy, holy, holy. I mean, it's a crowd up there. Lord God of Sabaoth. It's sort of confusing because it sounds like Sabbath, but it's not. It's a different Hebrew word. Lord God of Sabaoth. Usually it's translated Lord God of hosts. We could go further than that since host is not a word we use much in modern English. It's Lord God of a crowd. <laughs> yeah? Lord God of a huge crowd. You go to the book of Revelation. The end of the New Testament, what do you see? God in a crowd, surrounded by saints, the elders around the throne. It's a big church service, and it's packed out. Saints, angels, this God, I mean, God in a crowd. And it's, there's a sense in which God dealing with his creation reflects who God is. A God as Trinity, and God who creates us in his image, and he creates us, God help us, for the crowd. That is for others. You and I don't exist alone. We exist in relationship to others. We were created uh, as communion. Not just to have communion, but as communion. That's who we are. If, if you were to remove everyone you know in your life, if all of those people were removed, you know, and let's say, and they had never existed, that you existed. Who or what would you be? That would be the most meaningless thing possible. You know, just it's just an awful thought to exist without your history, without your parents, without your brothers and sisters, without your enemies. Uh, what a what a terrible existence it would be. Uh, just no reference point at all whatsoever. But we're not created. That way. We are created in relationship. We are created as a communion. Uh, and the truth is, we're not happy uh, when the communion is messed up. And this is really the source of our miseries in this life. It's, I would say the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. And I think it's just other people said, hell is Jean-Paul Sartre. But uh, uh, I mean, what a terrible thought. Hell is other people. Do, do, do. No, this is heaven. Heaven is other people. And God just gifts us with them. He gifts it to us in the church. That we are sometimes miserable with it. And it feels like hell is simply a diagnosis. It's a diagnosis of the brokenness of our soul. That uh, opportunities for love and wholeness and communion are in fact torturous to us. This is, as the fathers sometimes say, hell is to be in the presence of God and not want to be there. By the same token, hell is to be uh, in the presence of your brothers and sisters and not want to be there. It's torturous. You know? Or hell is even being in the presence of my enemies and not wanting to be there. Especially. And, and, but it diagnoses this brokenness of my soul. So the church brings us just after Pentecost, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and immediately points us, uh, points us to the life of the church that is exemplified in the saints. Uh, and so, lest we forget that, in the Orthodox Church, we plastered their pictures all over the place. You come in, and who do you see? You see the saints. You come, you look around the room. You see the saints sitting in the floor with the children, or you know, fiddling around and nervous, looking at their watches. 
<laughs> Dozing off all the wonderful things that uh, one does during a sermon. Uh, you know, or just looking at Father preaching and his mind wandering, because that's what we do. Uh, but the uh, God, God in Scripture says uh, that Psalm 68, 69, God is wonderful in his saints as the God of Israel. If you want to know God, do not sit around thinking abstractions. You know, some sort of God up yonder somewhere. If you want to know God, he directs us first to himself in Christ through his mother, surrounded by his saints. Uh, we will know one another. When Christ spoke to his disciples, Matthew 25, he talked about doing all these things to the least of these, my brethren, and as much as you've done it to them, you've done it unto me. God radically doesn't just identify with the others around us. It's not like he's just playing some identity politics or something. It's not that he identifies. He said, if you do it to them, you have done it. And he, because he has united himself to them. You want to know Christ, you will most profoundly begin to know him in the life of your brothers and sisters. The life of your brothers and sisters. I remember who first told me about Jesus. I remember the woman who first told me about Jesus. I was in a Sunday school class in a little Baptist church about a mile down the road from my house. Uh, the woman's name was Mrs. Dimps. And uh, she taught me to sing the song, Jesus Wants Me for a Sunday. That's just sweet. <laughs> and, you know, so I liked him from the very first. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. I'll be a sunbeam for him. But I remember, but I didn't get it myself. It didn't just appear to me out of a dream or some idea popped into my head. Somebody told me. Somebody told me. God is wonderful and glorified in his saints, the God of Israel. We give thanks to him for all the saints who have made him known to us the saints who surround him, uh, this great cloud of witnesses. Uh, we pray that God will be wonderful in us as we make him known to the world. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory, Glory to